Uh, my family in Christ, and I'm glad to be able to say that, truly my family in Christ, greetings to you from your brothers and sisters in Christ from Mobile, Alabama at Saving Grace Lutheran Church where, contrary to popular belief, I am actually a pastor there. Yeah, glad to be here today. Uh, Pastor Tim is my brother, and as we had a wedding to go to, I was privileged and honored to be able to share with you God's Word as we hear it in the Word of God this morning. So great to be here uh, today sharing God's Word with you. My congregation has just been finishing up a sermon series on the book of 1 Peter. If you have not read for, through 1 Peter, do it. It is an incredibly contemporary uh, and meaningful message, especially for Christians today in our world, even though it was written 2,000 years ago. It's only five chapters long. And we are finishing up that message that the, the Holy Spirit shared with us from Peter, one of the most gregarious of the disciples, as he delivers this message to us today. Uh, today we're going to look at the last chapter, then the last verses of this book as he closes it out. And as we do, we're, we're going to get a sense of the last thing that the Apostle Peter, throughout a lifetime of following his Lord, has, wants us to know and to share with us. So as he writes this little book, this epistle, uh, faces almost certain death, 30 years after he was called to be a disciple, he wants us to know these last words. Yeah, and you know how impactful sometimes last words are. You, you think about uh, when you leave somebody at the airport and the last thing you say to them or your kid's going off to college, or maybe even a loved one in your life that's no longer with us, and those things that people say to us to remember, they stick with you, right? Generally, the last things that people say that usually reflect some sort of a part of a relationship that you have with them. You want them to know that you are loved by them and, and they were meaningful in your life. Maybe you want to share with them something, that uh, a piece of wisdom that they can carry with them for a long time. Even if sometimes you put it in a different language, it becomes important. Like, you ever hear this one? Semper ubi sub ubi, always wear underwear. Yeah, that's a terrible one. But honestly, sometimes what you really want to do is you want to, you want to, you want to share with them something that's going to span their lifetime, right? That's, that's going to change the world, that's going to be worth remembering. And so here's where the Holy Spirit gives us these words of the Apostle Peter. Yeah, now just to kind of set the stage, understand Peter is, is a great study throughout the Bible. I mean, immensely practical, but this, this is where he grew up in. He, he lived in an occupied country. He was a proud Israelite, and the, the politics of the time were crazy. I, I don't think it's a lot different maybe than the world that we live in today. Politics seemed to dominate everything. The only difference was as there were riots and all kinds of protesting that were going on in his world, he didn't live in a democracy, but rather uh, an iron-fisted government that put everything down. And so in his world, he was actually fairly used to these political leaders rising up, starting a rebellion, and then being crushed cruelty, cruelly at the hands of the Romans. And this is where he lived. And so he was a fairly fiery guy. At one point then during his days on earth, there was another political leader of sorts that was raised up. You know him well. His name was Jesus, although he was different from every other political leader in the sense that his message was very different. It was one of hope and comfort. And he made a huge splash on that scene um, and, and, and changed his world and the thinking. You either loved him or hated him. And this is who Peter was called to be one of his disciples. And so as Peter followed this man who was like no other man, he thought, this is how we're going to change the world. This is how I am going to be someone in this world. And at last, the broken world in which we live, the craziness, the politics, all of this junk that is going on, we're going to make an impact. And then, and then the guy that Peter followed was arrested falsely, 
was put through a terrible trial, a mockery of justice, right? In the modern world, hopefully it wouldn't have happened, although maybe it would have, and then was crucified, killed in one of the most inhuman ways to make people die that human beings have ever discovered, right? So Peter now, remember, fiery, on fire, the guy who really was single-handedly the voice of the 12 disciples, he was the first one to say, Jesus, we will die for you. Jesus, we know who you are. The one who really led the disciples, all of a sudden, Jesus was dead. His world was crushed, and you probably know this story. It, It got worse for him on a very personal level. Because for the same guy who chopped off the ear of a servant as they tried to arrest Jesus, you know this story, not more than 24 hours later, he had denied even knowing his Savior, not once, not twice, but three times, right? Imagine the process that Peter had gone through. I have to believe as he was called to be a disciple, he thought, we're going to change things. And then the world changed him. Not only was his leader gone, but in his personal life, he had betrayed the guy he felt could do it all, right? So put yourself into this context. Peter now, 30 years later, has gone out. His life has been changed because of this man that he knew who rose again, and he has started missions all over the Middle East, and now he sits most presumably in Rome, arrested, who, and probably will die there at the hands of Emperor Nero. And he writes this epistle to all Christians, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And these are the last words he wants to leave after his long life with his Lord and his Savior. And what does he leave us with? He says this, stand fast. And he does it by saying, here's, here's what you're going to face And here's how we overcome it. Number one, in humility. Number two, in trust. And then the true grace of God. Let me share with you just one verse I want to focus on because we're going to come back to this one. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's verse 12. I won't read through the whole portion that we have, but feel free to follow along in your bulletin and take any sermon notes that you want to. Peter writes this in verse 12. With the help of Silas, Silas was a good friend of his, also another Christian, Whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So far the word of God. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord, strengthen us in your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. So what does one of the most influential Christians of all time leave for his parting words that the Holy Spirit has shared with us that we might know? Uh, Interestingly enough, one of the things that he first brings out, and you'll find this in verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, is he says, um, the devil is real. I don't know if this is a big issue in our world today, but we do live in a very uh, cultured and educated world. And I think that sometimes we have a a tendency to look at the devil uh, like on two sides of the coin. Sometimes I think we overestimate the devil's impact and everything becomes demonic. So if you have like a fungal toe, you got to cast out the demon of the fungal toe. And sometimes we go a little too far, giving the devil a lot of credit in this supernatural realm of evil that's in the world. And yet on the other side, I think 
sometimes we maybe underestimate him, right? If, if we talk about the devil, what usually pops into your head? Well, Halloween and walking around with the little horns on our head. Yeah, understand, and I think this is why Peter, and he's not picking on kids in devil suits for Halloween, but what Peter is saying, practically speaking, is remember that we do live in a world where there's a spiritual battle going on. And if you go through the pages of scripture, you realize that every time the devil is talked about, it's intimidating. The guy is I- I- impressive and he is powerful. In fact, a-, a theologian of years past put it this way. He said, if the devil could, he would pick up the mountains and throw them at us if God would let him. And what Peter wants us to realize is this. Yes, the devil is powerful, but just like Job in the Bible, he couldn't do anything unless he, got a- he asked God permission first. He is also limited by God's power in a supernatural sense, but he is effective in a very ordinary way in which he does influence our lives, even those of us that are sitting here in church this morning. And what Peter is talking about in a very practical sense, he's saying, this is what I want to leave you. There are two ways that in an ordinary way that the devil gets his foot in the door because he has a very powerful ally in our lives. It's not the world out there. It's not the politics that's going on. It's not the craziness or anything else. Yes, that's all out there. But what he is saying is the devil is real and his partner is, is you and me, right? With the split heart, the sinfulness inside of us. And he says, don't let the crack in the door open so that the devil can get in in an ordinary way. Not, not to possess us, because he can't without God's permission, and he wouldn't with, God's, with, with the power of our Lord, but the, in an ordinary way, he does affect us. And this is, what, this is what Peter is saying. Look at verse number six. He says, number one, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. What Peter is saying is that one of the things, one of the, the, the footholds that the devil gets is pride. Now, the Bible defines pride in a lot of different ways. Understand that everything that Peter talks about as far as pride is anywhere where we put ourselves forward before God, where we take away from God's grace, that we challenge that grace and that love that the Lord has for us in our hearts. It's really a first commandment issue. Put the Lord first, and when we put ourselves first, then all of a sudden that pride slips in. And there's two sides of it sometimes. We've seen the, the very hostile side of pride where we, where we put ourselves first. It, eh, we've all been there before as well. It, it's kind of the idea that, listen, I, I'm not that bad, right? And God's not that mad at me. I, I know who I am, but even here on Sunday morning, you're all sitting in church, you're better than the guy that's walking his dog out on the road there, right? Because you actually are in the house of God. And it's a sense that I'm doing something that's better, that God really looks at me with some decency and not as a miserable lost servant or not as a miserable lost sinner in his eyes. Uh, even the confession of sins that we say at the beginning of every Lutheran service, we call ourselves miserable. I read a review online the other day that were, <laughs> it was a Google review that was reviewing one of our Lutheran churches. And a visitor had come in in the summer for the first time. And you know what he was most upset with was the confession of sins at the beginning of the service. Because he said, first of all, it was very arrogant for one guy to stand up here and say, your sins are forgiven. He didn't think anyone had the right to do that. But the second thing was, is as we confessed our sins, he said, but I'm not that bad. That's not talking about me because I got some worth or value. We know that side of the pride, right? And, and, And oftentimes pushes us away from our Lord. I think there's another side, though, where the devil gets a little foothold into our hearts And that's, if if it's not the arrogance of pride, it's this idea of false humility or of inferiority. 
Like maybe I'm not that bad, Lord, but maybe we say, oh, Lord, I'm so bad and I'm so miserable that there's no way your grace can impact my life, right? That, that I have done so many things that, Lord, I, I really got to make up a bunch of stuff in order to get on your good side. And sometimes this even trickles down into our faith life, right? So I'm going to volunteer for everything on the church calendar because I know that God needs just a little bit of a boost to make me a better person. And then what happens when we aren't recognized for something that we've done, when, 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 we, when, we, when we don't see that grace working in our lives, the devil gets that foothold. And you probably have felt those feelings before as he just works on us to pull us away from our Lord. So what does Peter say? Peter says, so humble yourself. <laughs> Peter learned that lesson in a real life way as he stood before his Lord thinking he had plenty to offer and then ended up denying his Lord and a savior. See, and what humility is, is not necessarily thinking more of yourself or thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. And for the Christian, that means thinking about somebody else more, our Lord and our Savior. See, Peter's saying, here's the foothold. There's another one. And the second one is this, not only pride and to humble ourselves, but the second one is this, taking our anxiety and trusting that the Lord can take care of it. Look at verse seven. He says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, that Greek word to, to cast is the same word that they used when they put the blankets on the donkey and Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And it's kind of like the picture of, of a horse, right? Uh, I, how many of you have horses, like horses, ride horses? Yeah. You know, you never, put the, you never put the saddle right on the back of the horse. First, you put down the blanket, right? Protects you a little bit from everything that's going on. And that's kind of the idea of cast. What Peter is saying is that when we have an anxiety, when we have a worry, when we have a concern that's pulling us down, it, it's not necessarily that we're getting rid of it. We're not casting it away like in a wastebasket. But what we're doing is we are casting it on our Lord and our Savior because we're about to ride that fear, right? That's our eight seconds on the bull. He's saying, listen, if we have an anxiety, it doesn't mean that it necessarily goes away, but to trust that there is nothing that is bigger than our God and our Lord and to deal with it. Because what anxiety does is, it, 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 and that word even means to split, we go in two directions. Either we face it or we're afraid and we don't. And that's what the devil wants. He wants to get his foot in the door in order to turn us into the, a coward to not trust that our Lord can get us through all things. Think about it even in our Christian life. Right? We know that the Lord wants us to share our faith. And yet, sometimes we're like afraid to. We don't live in a society necessarily that enjoys the Christian faith we have, especially in a confessional Lutheran church. And so we're afraid to say something. And what happens? We put a soul at risk. Think about it, the people in your lives that are walking down a path that's only going to end in hardship, or, or maybe it's something like gossip within the church and you don't want to stand up and say anything because you don't want to lose a friendship. What happens is the fear of that anxiety keeps us from sharing the love of God and the devil wins, right? Think of all of those times in our lives when that anxiety or that fear causes us to cancel out God's grace. That's the foot in the door. And as Peter is giving us these last words, he's saying that very thing. Understand that the way the devil works is in a very ordinary sense. He works on our emotions and our fears. And so he says, throw that anxiety on our Lord. Yeah. Uh, just in our world today, if improving our world, and remember this is where Peter was coming from. He wanted a better place to live. If improving our world was just about good education or good politics, 
or good medicine or good psychology, why haven't we fixed the world and the, since as long as human beings have been here? Right? Because there's more there. There's a spiritual warfare going on, and that devil is prowling around looking for a place, and the battleground is right here. So now if you just left it there, you'd be like, okay, so we've got to be better. But that's not what Peter leaves us with. Instead, what he says is this. Understand the battle within. Understand how the devil gets in the foothold in the door. But then he leaves us with three things in which we'll walk with us for our entire life, from birth to death, in order to make a difference in this world with the grace of God. And here's what he says. Here's the first one. He says, understand this, verse 11, to him be the power forever and ever, amen. Now, it seems a little strange because, you know, when the pastor says amen, and I saw a few heads just bobbing up, the sermon's not over yet, but usually when you say amen, the sermon's over, right? And interestingly enough, Peter is going on and he doesn't quit. It's like that pastor that doesn't know when to wrap it up and draw the conclusion, right? That's not what Peter's doing. What he's saying is this, is number one, so as we step into this world and we know what's going on, the temptations that hit us, first he says, remember, but God is bigger, right? This is not a battle between God and Satan. No, God is in control. God is bigger. And this is what he says, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. In other words, that's like the biblical version of a mic drop. Boom, done. God is bigger. Don't forget it. And don't, don't worry about what's out there and battling with us. Here's the second thing he says. God is bigger. Number two, God has also put people around you to help you on this journey. Verse 12, 13, and 14. He goes on, he says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Babylon was a word that was used for the Romans at that time, and what he was saying is for all of those who are faithful, for those who have faith in our Lord and our Savior, for those who are also in this world, understand that the Lord has also placed them in our lives to encourage us in our walk, in our faith, in our Lord. As you look around today, uh, even those that are contained within this wall, in these walls, it's no different than a family. As you look at those who have gathered here, this is a part of your family, as are those that believe in our Lord. We don't always get to choose our family, right, Tim? Yeah, sometimes the Lord just puts us together, and, but, but they're here for our support and for our love, and there's times when we are down and they lift us up. There's times when they are down and we lift them up. That's why God places us together. And if you read through the book of 1 Peter, you see that theme over and over again. As Peter says, here's the church, not a building, but the cornerstone of Christ with the apostles and the prophets as that foundation. And then each one of us built together, mortared with each other to make up his church. You can't get any closer than being mortared together. So number two, remember not only that God is bigger, but these people here are in your life to help you through when you need that help, and vice versa. This is what Peter wants us to remember in his last will and testimony. And then finally, number three is this, and that verse that I read in the very beginning, verse 10. Finally, his grace, his grace, verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you 
and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Therefore, be steadfast. I don't know if you know how the story ended. We had it in our gospel reading for today. But here Peter, 30 years before this, found himself absolutely at the lowest spot in his life. If you remember of the 12 disciples, there was another disciple that betrayed his Lord, and you probably remember how that story turned out. His name was Judas, and it did not turn out well. Understand that Peter was in the same spot. So what was the difference? On Easter Sunday morning, we hear in this portion of scripture from John, we don't know, they were out fishing on the boat, they were looking for a little bit of breakfast, and Jesus approaches them and then comes up to Peter. Now, can you imagine what would have been running through your head if you were the leader of the 12 disciples and your Savior had been put on the cross? You not only didn't defend him, but you denied him three times, and now here he is, right smack dab in front of you, right? And so Jesus calls him over and he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, of course I do, Lord. And you can almost see the change in tone as he answers. He asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And this time he's, yes, Lord, I, yes, I do love you, right? Because his actions didn't say so earlier on. And then finally he asks him a third time, and John makes the point of letting us a little insight into Peter's heart, because Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him again. And you could almost hear his response as Jesus says, Peter, do you love me the third time? And Peter is like, yeah, I, I really do, Lord. <laughs> I know my life doesn't always look like it. I know my confidence doesn't always look like it. I know that I am not the perfect Christian I needed to, but I do love you, Lord. And Jesus said, so go and do my work, right? Is that not the song of every one of us as Christians? <laughs> Lord, we love you. <laughs> and he says, you are forgiven in Christ. Stand firm, resist the temptations, fight the devil, but carry out the work that I have for you. Feed my sheep, feed my lamb, spread that gospel message, and stand firm in God's grace. Amen. Please stand. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.